I had mentioned to you this morning that most people want to live autonomously. They want to live without somebody governing them. Matter of fact, I would say that all people start out life that way. You say, how do you know that? Just look at your kids. When you tell them to do something, your kids do it every single time. You wish they would just do it half the time. <laughs> and not only do they do it every single time, they do it on the first time. See, there's something inbred in us because of the fall that man does not want to be governed by another. And so we want to live unto ourselves. We want to be a law unto ourselves. We have our own desires, our own goals, and we, we go after them. And not only is that true in human relationships, but that is also true in a relationship, as the world would say, with a higher being. We would say, with God. And many times, if we're not careful, as I mentioned to you this morning, if we're not careful, we will look at the world out there and say, yeah, they, they want to live disconnected from God. They want to go their own way. They want to do their own thing. They have their own goals. They want to pursue their own passions. Well, guess what? If we're not careful as Christians, we live the exact same way. We don't want to be subject unto God. It's not that we're not Christians. And it's not that we don't try and do the right things, but when God asks us to do something uncomfortable, when God asks us to do something out of our comfort zone, when he asks us to step out by faith, when, when he may challenge us in an area of our life, that's where we'll say many times, well, God, hey, it's like this. Say, for example, that, that uh, maybe you, you feel uh, that, that God's led you to, um, I don't know, sing in the choir. You say, Pastor, I just don't like standing in front of people, but God's given you a great voice. I, I just don't, I don't like that. That's, that's out of my comfort zone. But you know that God wants you to do that. You know what? That's living autonomously from God. You say, because I, I, I just can't do that. I, I, just, I just won't do that. See, we're no better than the unsaved in, in, in that respect. And what Solomon wants us to see here, Ecclesiastes is a, not a book about that nothing matters. That's totally wrong. Ecclesiastes is a book about that everything does matter. Why? Because of verses 13 and 14, he comes and he says, look, after all the experiments that I've done, he's come, he's come about this logically, he's come about it scientifically, and he said, I've, I've had all these experiences in life, I've, 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 I've experimented with all the things that life can offer, and a life without God, yes, nothing does matter. Live and let live. Eat, drink, and marry for tomorrow you're going to die. So just enjoy life because it really doesn't matter. Do your own thing. But he says, no, no, that's not the way we're supposed to live. We're not supposed to live a life without God. We're not supposed to live autonomously from God. We're supposed to live a life as if everything does matter because everything does matter. Well, so why does everything matter? Because of Jesus Christ. That's why everything matters. And so at the end of all his experiments that he's conducted, he says in verse 13, hear the conclusion. Solomon was the scientist of scientists, if you will. He was the wisest man of his day outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, this is the final conclusion. Here are the facts of the matter. I've laid this out. Uh, it's been observable. It's been measurable. And now I've laid this out and I've come to the conclusion that 
Everything in life does matter. And for us as believers, since everything in life matters, you won't live a godless life. I mentioned to you that this morning. We talked about a definition of a godless life, and I gave you a description of a godless life. I'm not going to go through that. But since everything in life matters, you will not live a godless life. And yes, as a Christian, you can live a godless life. I'd encourage you, if you didn't hear the sermon this morning, if you have some time this week, go to YouTube, look it up on our page, and listen to it. I believe it'll be a help to you. Or download our podcast. We have a podcast. You can be able to download it and listen to it. Hopefully, it'll be a help to you. But if we are not to live a godless life, then what are we supposed to do? Since everything in life matters, you will not live a godless life, but you will live a, you will live a God-filled life. You will live a God-filled life. If everything matters, you will live a God-filled life. We see this in verses 9 through 14. In verses 9 through 14. I want you to turn over to Proverbs chapter 2, if you will, please. What does a God-filled life look like? We saw this morning a godless life and what that looks like, but what does a God-filled life look like? In Proverbs chapter 2, First, I would say, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. And I'd encourage you to take notes. It'll do two things for you. Number one, it will help you stay awake. You say, why is that? Well, sometimes we get a little sleepy, don't we? And sometimes we're on medication that may, you know. I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor, I'm so sorry. I, I, I didn't mean, I'm sure that you saw me sleep during the, me man, if you can sleep during my messages, you can sleep during anything. As loud as I get sometimes, my goodness. But I'm on medication. Don't worry about it. But secondly, you can go back and you can review the message. See, folks, remember, I'm not here just dispensing information. We're not just doing our Christian duty. We're just not checking this off. We're supposed to be growing in Christ, right? I mean, this is, this is a life that we're supposed to be living. So you ought to take notes and you, 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 you ought to, you know, I understand that, that, that it may not be the best preaching, but if I'm preaching the Word of God, it'll help you some way, somehow. But what does, I said, you will pursue after godly wisdom. What does that look like? So the first thing is, if you're going to live a God-filled life, you're going to pursue, letter A, you're going to pursue after godly wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, he says, My son, if thou will receive my words. See, if you're going to pursue after godly wisdom, there's got to be a receptive heart. I mentioned to you that, uh, to that before. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm maybe looking for staff or I'm, I'm, I'm talking to maybe the staff about getting workers or things like that to be able to work in the ministry, you know one of the things that I, I've often mentioned, find people with a teachable spirit. If you will receive my words, if you're going to pursue after godly wisdom, you've got to have a teachable spirit. You're not coming to God with your agenda. You're going to God and you're saying, God, I'm here to receive from you. What do you want from me? What, what, are, you, what are you trying to teach me? If my son, if that will receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. That means to not only receive them, but then to, to keep them. So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart unto understanding. So here you go. He's not only saying receive it. He's not only saying hide it in your heart, if you will. But then he's saying, it's, it's like this. Paul said it this way. A bunch of knowledge puffs up. James said it this way. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. 
The proverb right here is saying basically the same thing. He's saying, look, if you receive my words, right, apply thine heart to understanding. So, so go ahead and apply it now. It's one thing to be a Christian to be able to hear the, the, word, the wisdom of God. And, and we, we take in the wisdom of God. I say pursue after godly wisdom, but to live a godly life, it's more than just taking it in. Now it's applying it to your everyday living. And he says here, he goes on, Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifted up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasure, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. What is this wisdom? See, if you're going to have a God-filled life, you're going to pursue after godly wisdom. Listen, the only, one of the, the only ways that you can pursue after godly wisdom is being in this book. You have to be in this book. Now, you ought to come here the preaching of God's word. That can help. But if this is all that you're doing, you're going to miss out a whole lot. You're going to miss out a whole lot. It's like living on appetizers three times a week if you show up that much. You don't, you don't just want to do that. You want to be in the Word of God every day to be able to see what the Word of God has to say so you can go after wisdom. Wisdom in Scripture is not only from on high. It says here, wisdom from God, okay? But it's also wisdom to know how to live life that would please God. We would say it this way. It's a down-to-earth, practical way of learning how to live. So when you pursue after godly wisdom, what you're actually doing to live a God-filled life, what you're actually doing is you're saying, God, I want your wisdom, what? To be able to learn how to live my life day in and day out. Wouldn't you think the creator of something would know best how to utilize that creation? I mean, if an inventor of, of something, whatever it may be, wouldn't they know best how to utilize the invention? Well, they know it inside and out. They, they, they came up with the idea, and they, they, they put it together, and they modified it, and they reworked it, and all that. Well, guess what? God is the creator of life. Now, he never had to modify it. He never had to change it. He did it one time and one time only. But since God is the creator of life, don't you think that he knows how this life ought to be lived better than you and I? I mean, that just makes sense. But how many times, if we're not careful, we're not living a God-filled life, we're living a godless life because we want to live it our way. And he's saying, pursue after wisdom. In verses 9 to 10, 10, the Bible says the preacher, which I believe is Solomon, was wise. Why was he wise? He was wise because of his teaching. The teaching was wise. The teaching was orderly. The teaching was careful or acceptable words. I, I want you to turn to 2 Peter, if you will, please. But he doesn't stop there. As you're turning, I want you to listen. 2 Peter chapter 1. The teaching was wise. The teaching was orderly. And the teaching was careful. They, they, it, was, it was like this. We would say, he spoke the truth in love, okay? They were acceptable words. He wasn't harsh with his proverbs. Even if they were true, he wasn't harsh with them. He wasn't mean about it. This morning, I know that I preached hard, but I tell you what, I can tell you this much. My spirit was, I did not preach mean. 
There's a difference between preaching hard and preaching mean. See, they were acceptable words. But you can have a wise teaching, you can have an orderly teaching, and you can have somebody that's smooth with their words. But it also says something else about his words. The teaching was truthful. See, you can have a teaching that is wise in the world's eyes. You can have a teaching that is orderly in the world's eyes. You can have a teaching that is smooth or acceptable in the world's eyes. But that doesn't mean it's truthful. That's the difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. These are inspired words. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. See, the words that Solomon gave were inspired words. These were the words of God. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. See, it's not enough just to have wise and orderly and careful words that you're pursuing after. They must be truthful words if you're going to pursue after godly wisdom. But Solomon doesn't stop there. He goes on. Take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 11. He talks more about these words because we're talking about here, we're talking about pursuing after godly wisdom. If you're going to have a God-filled life, and a practical way of saying this, you'll pursue after godly wisdom, is to say that you will know how to live on a daily basis. You will know how to live wisely on a daily basis. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 11, look there if you would please. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. He said that the words are like goads. A goad was a farming instrument that was used um, by farmers. If it's a farming instrument, that's what farmers use. <laughs> that was a really smart statement there. I want to impress you with my mental acumen there. <laughs> a goad was about eight feet in length. And many times, a goad was tipped with, with metal. Uh, a, a sharp point, not enough to be able to injure an animal, but it was just enough to be able to prod you along. Just enough. It's like the other day, um, I was uh, changing out light fixtures on the outside of my house. Yes, I was, and I'm a Riddell. I did that. And I thought I had the electric off. And so I, uh, I was changing some light fixtures, and, and uh, I'm working there. And Man, I, I, got it, I got it down. I mean, I put the one in, and okay, that one was good. And then I had five of them to change around the house. And so... I get to my porch area, and I did. I thought they were off. And I'm working, and ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, I guess that's not, so I run downstairs, and I keep checking. I'm, I'm like, well, I can't find, I can't find it. I forget it, I'm gonna keep changing them. So I just kept working, and every so often, zip, oh, all right, well, you gotta be careful. You know, it, it wasn't, a, it didn't hurt me, but it, it was like, whoa, you know. Hence, now you know why. <laughs> It, 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 was, it was prodding me. It was letting me know that something wasn't right, okay? 
That's, that's what he's saying about these wise words here. He's, he's, saying, he's saying, look, they're going to they're gonna move you along. They're not enough to hurt you. They're not, gonna, they're not going to, I, I shouldn't say, they're not going to harm you. They're not going to tear you apart, but they're going to move you along. He's, he's using this word metaphorically, that it's to, the, the words of Scripture are to prod us into action. I find that interesting. You want to know why? Because there's too many Christians that just want to sit around. Folks, let's, let's be honest. We need to be prodded into action. That's why there are imperatives in Scripture. God says, go, and he'll say, do, and he'll say, don't do. Why? Because we get comfortable. And before we know it, instead of living a God-filled life, we're living a godless life. And Solomon's words are to prod us not to expect lasting satisfaction in money, work, or pleasure, but only in the goodness of God. Solomon's words are to prod us. Don't look for satisfaction in money, pleasure, or work, but look for satisfaction in the goodness of God. See, when we forget about God, we live autonomously from God and the Word of God, And it prods us, the word of God prods us to remember our creator. See, the moment we think that we're going to live forever, you know, especially as young people, you think, man, you you don't think about death. You think, man, I'm invincible. But the moment we start thinking we're going to live forever, we're prodded in the side of our bodies, if you will, our spiritual bodies, and we're reminded that life is short and we're all going to die. But not only did he say that the words are like goats, he said they're, they're fastened as nails. I want you to take a look there in verse 12. He said, the words of the wise are as goats and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies. It's the goad, as I mentioned to you, which prods people to pursue truth. And it's the nails to illustrate the wisdom of God that is to be nailed down in our life. It's to be fastened to our hearts and our minds. So it's the pursuing of God's wisdom. It's to be something constant in our life. We have to nail it down in our hearts and our life. You know, listen, sometimes, because the evil one, who is known as the liar and the father of lies, what do you have to do sometimes? You gotta continually go over truth over and over and over again. This is what God's word says. So this is what I'm going to believe. Even when you don't feel like. Even when it doesn't seem like. It doesn't matter what we feel like at that time because truth is still truth. And we must nail the truth down in our hearts. Why? Because the evil one is always looking to be able to take the truth of God's word and to twist the truth of God's word. God hath not said. That's the first, that's that's his trick from, from the very beginning. He wants to take God's word and make us question God's word. But we need to fasten it to our hearts and to our minds and say, wait a second, this is what God's word says. 
For example, how many times when you go through a, a, the, the valley of the shadow of death, when you go through difficult times, do you have to go back to the fact that, wait a second, God will never leave me nor forsake me. I may feel forsaken. I may feel like he's left me, but he will not. It doesn't matter what I feel like. It matters about what the fact of God's word says. And the more that you nail truth down into your life, the more that you hold on to truth, the more that you hide his word in your heart. Guess what? Eventually, the feelings will come. But we don't live by our feelings. We live by the truth of God's word. Solomon says, nail it down. Nail it down. I find it interesting that we've got to nail truth down. One of the reasons why I think that that's in the word of God is that we need to hide God's word in our heart, that we need to hide it in our minds is because are we not bombarded day after day after day after day with lies, deception, fantasy? That's all that the world puts before us. He says, I want you to fasten it. He goes on in verse 12. You look and he says, and further by these, we're talking about pursuing after godly wisdom now. He says here, and further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. Depending on which stats you look at, and you can look at different stats on the internet, you can find that anywhere between 600,000 and a million plus books are made each year just in America. That's a lot of books. So what the Bible is saying about making of many books is true. There, are, there is no end, and the study of them is wearisome. And Solomon is giving us a warning here. You say, well, what's he talking about, making of many books, and how does this all fit into the context? And it seems like that's sort of like out of context, doesn't it? It's just the, he, what are you talking about, Solomon? He's giving us a warning. If you're going to follow God's wisdom, here, you need to get a hold of this. If you're going to follow God's wisdom... Don't go beyond what God has written in his word. Don't go beyond what God has written in his word. Don't allow man's book to rob you of God's wisdom. See, there, let me put it this way. There is never a time that we should test the truth of God by the many books of men. There is never a time that we should truth that we should test the truth of God by the books of men. We are to test what men have written by the truth of God. We are to test what, God, what men has written by the truth of God. So many times people say, oh, well, look, uh, um, uh, science is backing up the Bible. Now they've discovered this and discovered that, or, or archaeology is now backing up the Bible. Look, I don't need science, and I'm not against science. We, I mean, when science, it, it's a good thing, and I, I think that we ought to pursue those things, but there are some areas of science that are totally contrary to this book. And I'm not against archaeology and history and those type of things. Like, well, you know, you see this in the Bible. We've never discovered that land. We've never found that, that uh, site or whatever the case may be. Listen, let me tell you something. When science or archaeology or history does not line up with this book, you don't test the validity of this book with those books. You test the validity of those books with this book right here. We stick by this book. You say, well, Dr. So-and-so said, and Dr. So-and-so said this, and Dr. So-and-so, I don't care what Dr. So-and-so, Dr. Jesus said that this is the truth right here, and this is how you go after godly wisdom. 
See, our textbook is the Bible, and our teacher is the Holy Spirit. And to have a God-filled life, you pursue after godly wisdom. But letter B, you will fear and obey God. You will fear and obey God. Take a look at verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Take a look at Acts chapter 17, if you will, please. Acts chapter 17. It says this is the whole duty of man. This is what I want, you to, I, I want to get at with you. That you don't own your life. I don't own my life. Because life is a gift from God. Paul, here in Acts chapter 17 and verse 24 through 28, take a look there if you would, please. Just follow along with me if you would. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. God hath made the world and all things therein. God hath made the world and all things therein. Seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needeth, needed anything, seeing he giveth life to all and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring." See, we don't own our life because life is a gift from God. Therefore, we should live a God-filled life. Now, look, folks, you can put your life in the one of three categories here. Every single one of us can put our life in the one of three categories. You need to ask yourself this evening, where am I at? There are those who spend their lives. Are you spending your life? There are those, the second category, are those who waste their life. And then there are those who invest their life. Corey Ten Boone said this, the measure of a life, after all, is not the duration, but the donation. See, Solomon gives us to us two imperatives here if we're going to live a God-filled life. This is a command. An imperative is a command. He says, first, I want you to fear God. This isn't the first time that Solomon has told us to fear God. You can write these down. I'm not going to read them for lack of time, but write these down. Ecclesiastes 3.14, you'll find where Solomon says, fear God. Ecclesiastes 5.7, you'll find where he says, once again, fear God. Ecclesiastes 7.18, he says it again. And then Ecclesiastes 8.12 and 13, he says it again. He's mentioned all throughout the book, fear God, fear God, fear God. Fear God. You say, well, what is that? What, what? It's to take God seriously. It's to acknowledge him in our lives as the highest good. That God is our highest good. It is to revere him. It is to honor him. It is to worship him. To center our lives on him. He says, this is, if you're going to have a God-filled life, this is what it should look like. You should, you should pursue after godly wisdom, and then you should fear God. You, you should honor him. You should revere him. You should center your life around him. You should look at him as your highest good. But then not only does he give us that imperative, he says, not only do I want you to fear God if you're going to have a God-filled life, but I want you to keep his commandments. You know what this is? 
This is the outworking of fearing God. I love the Word of God because it's so practical. It is so practical. It's not just theology. It's just, it, it's, it's more, it's, it's not only theology, but it's more than theology. It takes it from the level of just head knowledge and it puts it, it puts it into a life action. And he says, fear God. Well, you say, okay, I'll fear God. I'll honor him. I'll reverence him. And we can all say that, can't we? We can all just acknowledge. We can assent to that mentally. But then he says, keep his commandments and what he's basically saying is now, if you're going to fear God, this is what it looks like. It, it, it means that you're going to keep his commandments. Well, what is that? It means being obedient to God is showing that we are fearing God. We can talk about it being a God-fearing people. Have you ever heard something? We don't hear this much now, but years ago, people would classify people this way. You would hear people say, man, that's a God-fearing man. Or that's a God-fearing woman. How did they know that? How did they know that? It wasn't because they could get inside their mind and figure out the, the, the mental assent that they've given unto God. The reason that they would say that somebody is a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman is because of the way that they lived. They could see their life and, and they knew that there was something different about them. See, we can talk about it all we want, but the determining factor is if we are God-fearing people, we, we will be obedient to him. So fearing God is linked, it's linked to keeping his commandments. The attitude of fearing God should result in the keeping of God's commandments. This is really the foundation for a God-filled life. But Solomon concludes with these reasons couple of reasons. Why does everything matter? You say, Pastor, wait a second. You started this this morning saying that everything matters. Well, why does everything matter? What does it matter if I live a godless life? Now, we wouldn't say that because we want everybody to think that we're good Christians. But really, a, God, a godless life as a Christian is a lukewarm Christian. That's basically what it is. Uh, what, what's, uh, what's, you know, if everything matters, Pastor, why should I, why should I live a godless life or a God-filled life? Well, Solomon nails it down right here in verse 14. Take a look there. He tells us why everything matters. This is, this is the crux. These two verses are the crux of the whole book, I believe. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know, this verse is in total opposition to the culture today of do your own thing, live your own life. Do your own thing, live your own. He's saying that God will bring everything into judgment. So why does everything matter? Well, there's two reasons that everything matters. It's the whole duty of man, it says. It's, it's, it's the whole duty of man. You say, well, what does that mean, the whole duty of man? It's the essence for why you were created. It, it, the whole duty to fear God and obey his commandments, the first thing that, that the reason why everything matters is because that's the reason why you and I were created. That is another way of saying that we are glorifying God. When we fear God and obey, he's saying that is your whole purpose in life, 
to fear God and keep his commandments. Could you imagine what our church would look like if all of us decided, if we just dreamed for a little bit that all of us here this evening, that we would decide that we're going to fear God and keep his commandments? Could you imagine what would happen to Williamstown, what would happen to South Jersey, what would happen to our state, our country, if we just had Christians around the country that would say, wait a second, I am going to fear God and keep his commandment? It's another way of saying, I am going to glorify God with all of my life? I believe that our country would be turned upside down. Because that's the reason you were created. He said, that's your whole essence, that's, that's your whole purpose, is to stand in all of God. Well, what's the second reason why everything matters? Well, because he says that he's going to bring everything into judgment. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians, this is our last verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God says that he's going to bring everything into judgment here. The first, he says, the secret things. You know, those things that nobody else knows about, the secret things. And then he says, the good and evil. The secret things, and then the good and evil. So the two reasons why everything matters is it's the whole duty of man, and that God's going to bring every work into judgment. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Take a look there. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For we must, how many, how many has to appear? Anybody in this room ex ex exempt from that? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be Good or bad? See, this is why everything matters. Solomon says, this is the reason that you're created. Fear God, keep his commandments. Stand in awe of God. Do what he says to do. Why? Because one day judgment is coming. Oh, this isn't a judgment of condemnation. No, God's not going to, uh, once you, you're, you're saved, the Bible tells us that we have eternal life. But there will be a judging of our works. See, because Ecclesiastes is what? All about a man who decided to live life without God. And he's coming to the conclusion and saying, you need to live life with God. Everything does matter. What's the judgment seat of Christ? How we have lived our lives. See, one day Jesus Christ is going to judge our motives. He's going to judge the things that we've done. The question is, do you be able to stand there before God and say, I've lived a God-filled life? You know, I've lived a, a godless life. See, I, I want to try and be able to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I believe every book of the Bible has to do with Christ. You said, Pastor, how does... How does Ecclesiastes point us to Jesus Christ? How does this portion of Scripture point us to Jesus Christ? In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 17, Jesus said it this way. When the rich young ruler asked Jesus what he should do to inherit eternal life, Jesus said, 
keep the commandments. What did Solomon say? Fear God and keep the commandments. Now, we understand what Jesus was saying. We know how to accept eternal life. But Solomon also spoke of the judgment of God one day, and, and Jesus also spoke of that judgment. In Matthew chapter 12, and verses 13, uh, 36 and 37, he says, But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, every careless word, every flippant word, every idle word that they shall speak, they'll give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. See, Ecclesiastes is just pointing us to what Jesus already said. Let me ask you this evening, are you living a God-filled life? If you are, it's, gonna, it's going to be exercised in a practical wisdom. If you are, it, it's going to be noticed by how you fear God and live out his commands. See, we can say all we want that we're living a God-filled life. But if it's not exercised, if it's not applied, if it's not demonstrated, we're really not living a God-filled life. We're living a godless life. And since everything does matter, and the one thing that matters above everything is somebody's eternal destiny, but since everything does matter, you'll not live a godless life. You'll live a God-filled life.